0: Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2, available on the web at fm1032.com.au. We've been exploring Jesus' life for a couple of weeks now, and it's time to face what is perhaps the most important and most difficult of all the themes of the Gospels the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Let me begin with a rather unexpected quotation from a leading scholar. I'll tell you who he is after I've read what he said. Here it is. Concerning the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, I was for decades a Sadducee, that is, someone who denied the afterlife. I am no longer a Sadducee, since the following deliberation has caused me to think this through anew. When these peasants, shepherds and fishermen who betrayed and denied their master, and then failed him miserably, suddenly could be changed overnight into a confident mission society, convinced of salvation and able to work with much more success after Easter than before, then no vision or hallucination is sufficient to explain such a revolutionary transformation. If the defeated and depressed group of disciples overnight could change into a victorious movement of faith, based only on auto-suggestion or self-deception, without a fundamental faith experience, then this would be a much greater miracle than the resurrection itself. In a purely logical analysis, the resurrection of Jesus is the lesser of two evils for all those who seek a rational explanation of the worldwide consequences of that Easter faith. Now this quotation comes not from a clergyman, or even a Christian scholar. It comes from the late, great Professor Pincus Lapid, a German New Testament historian and an Orthodox Jew. Now, that a devout Jew, contrary to his religious tradition, could conclude on historical grounds that Jesus really did rise again, doesn't, of course, prove anything. It does, though, illustrate something that I reckon would surprise a lot of listeners. The resurrection of Jesus remains a topic of serious inquiry, even among non-Christian scholars of ancient history. For example, a few years ago, Oxford University Press published um, the essays from an international scholarly symposium on the topic of Christ's resurrection. The published volume is called The Resurrection An Interdisciplinary Symposium on the Resurrection of Jesus. A very nerdy title, I know, but if you're interested in it, feel free to look it up. Most recent is another book on the topic, which all scholars, regardless of their persuasion, would agree is the most important thing ever written on the topic of Christ's resurrection. It's a massive volume by the British New Testament historian N.T. Wright. It's called The Resurrection of the Son of God. Thoroughly recommend it. It's a monster of a read, but it's a brilliant one. Anyone who thinks that Christ's resurrection can't be taken seriously hasn't done much reading on the topic. That's to put it kindly. Now, I should say that it's not my intention here to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. I do, though, want to demonstrate that the resurrection is both an unavoidable theme of the earliest sources and an indispensable aspect of the Christian worldview ever since. It's no exaggeration to say that without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no Christianity. Without the resurrection, no Christianity. As the Apostle Paul said in a moment of brutal honesty, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. We are to be pitied more than all men. That's from 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 14. Well, the first thing to say about the resurrection is that prior to April AD 30, no one in the ancient world, whether Jewish or pagan, would have expected a crucified teacher such as Jesus to rise again from the dead. It was simply not part of anyone's job description of greatness. Now, this point is frequently overlooked in popular discussions of the topic, but it actually gives historians something to really think about because we can't find any reason for first century people to have made up a story about a man rising from the dead. Now, it's true that some pagans celebrated rituals of dying and rising gods, typically as a symbol of the cycles of fertility and harvest. But no one in this pagan culture ever thought that this was an event that took place in time and space or that a human being could experience this kind of dying and rising. Um, For example, one famous dying and rising god is the Egyptian deity Osiris who is revived by his wife Isis who also happens to be his sister. It's a bit of a bizarre story. Um, The two of them then make love and they give birth to other divinities. Now, at no point in these ancient myths were ancient pagans implying that a thing like this could happen in time and space. This was a story from the divine world. It wasn't one that happened on planet Earth. Um, Earthly reflection of this story is not bodily resurrection, but the renewal of agricultural harvest and human fertility. What the gods did in the divine realm was mirrored in our harvests. In fact, scholars have often pointed out, you know, that the idea of the resurrection of a human body would have been preposterous to pagans. In pagan thought, the afterlife is always non-physical. The soul remains, the body decays. Now, unlike their pagan neighbours, many Jews in this period did believe in bodily life after death. But they did so in a way that virtually ruled out any expectation that someone would rise from the dead in AD 30. See, traditional Jewish teaching, both before and after Jesus, said that At the end of history, the faithful dead would rise to eternal life in a divinely restored creation. This was a central part of the Jewish hope for God's future kingdom. Belief in a general resurrection in the kingdom come is everywhere in Jewish writings of this period. It's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's in Josephus, it's in the Pseudepigrapha and the Apocrypha and everywhere else. The belief was founded on an important passage in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Let me read it, Daniel chapter 12. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. This theme of resurrection of the dead in the future kingdom remains a core part of Orthodox Judaism to this day. The important point to note, though, is that resurrection in Judaism, both ancient and modern, is something that will happen at the conclusion of human history, not in the middle of it. It's an event at the time of the end, as Daniel put it. Any claim that an individual had experienced bodily resurrection before the arrival of God's kingdom was not only unexpected, it was deeply counterintuitive within a Jewish perspective. The early Christian claim that their saviour had experienced the future resurrection in advance is completely without precedent in both Jewish and Greco-Roman cultures of antiquity. Certainly, something other than existing expectations gave rise to this claim. Now, adding to the scholarly conundrum over what might have prompted the first Christians to make claims about a resurrection is what we know of Jewish martyrdom. Ever since the Jewish revolts against Greek domination in the 160s BC, this is called the Maccabean Wars, a strong tradition in Judaism paid special honour to faithful Jews who had been slain by pagan overlords. Such people were praised in popular legends and their tombs became sites of religious veneration. By the time the Romans ruled Palestine from about 63 BC, this tradition was firmly established in Jewish consciousness. Scholars frequently comment on the significance of this observation because if the New Testament had left Jesus in a martyr's tomb, this would have been a perfectly respectable way to conclude a story about a great Jewish teacher. There was no need, in other words, to invent a resurrection story in order to secure Jesus' fame. The fact that the pagan Romans Had executed Jesus, would have virtually guaranteed him a place in the roll call of faithful Jewish martyrs. Yet, from the very earliest period, the disciples made no attempt to make Jesus out to be a heroic martyr. And so far as we can tell, his tomb was never venerated as a site of religious devotion. Instead, contrary to everyone's expectation, Greek, Roman, or Jewish, the first Christians Insisted that the tomb in which Jesus had been laid on Friday afternoon was empty come Sunday morning. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit fm103.2.com.au.